The sermon is over Romans chapter 10, verse 14, all the way through 21. And the sermon title this morning is, We Are Missionaries. We Are Missionaries. Charles Spurgeon said that we are either missionaries or imposters. There's no opt out in the Christian faith from being a missionary. We are either missionaries or imposters. And so we're going to look at that this morning about being sent ones. Now last week we were in Romans chapter 10 and we saw how complementary, not contradictory, sovereign grace in chapter 9 and great evangelism in chapter 10 or this idea that everyone who calls upon them in the name of the Lord will be saved. We saw how election and invitation or the word everyone go together. They're not complement they're not contradictory, they're complementary. Romans 9 and Romans 10 should be equally loved by all Christians, not fought about or picked by any Christians. We should all love all of the Bible. In Romans chapter 10 last week we saw this incredible promise that says that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And when God says that, he means that every single person who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It is a promise. We get the title from from John the Baptist, that Jesus indeed is the Savior of the world. He came not just for the Jews, but He came to purchase people from every tribe, tongue, nation, language around the world. But man, the world is a big place. It's a really big place. When we think about where we are in southern Illinois. We're in the Midwest. Okay, We're kind of more in the east, but what's kind of called the Midwest, on this side of the east side of the Mississippi, but still called the Midwest, in a nation called the United States, in a continent called North America and a hemisphere called the Western Hemisphere. And we are in a big, big world. There's 7.2 billion people in the world. When we think about the mission, the fact that Jesus is the Savior of the world and that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, we, we start having questions. And both the skeptic and a good, reasonable junior hire have the very same question. Well, what about the people in the world who've never heard of Jesus? Because you, we, we live in a big earth, and there are nations, tribes, tongues of people in, in this world who live, who are born, and live their whole life, and die, and have never heard the name of Jesus. They've never seen a missionary. They've never seen a Bible. And then there's big populations of the world who maybe have heard of Jesus, but they have no idea what the message of Jesus is, because nobody's ever told them before. They maybe know about Jesus, but they don't know the message. And so the skeptic and the junior higher have the have real questions. Why? What about the people who have never heard about Jesus? If everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, what about the everyone who have never heard about Jesus? And it's a legitimate question, one we should think about. How can people call on Jesus if they've never heard of him? It's a great question. It's an age-old question. And we know, according to Romans chapter 1, that ignorance is no excuse for sin and rebellion. We know that people who have never heard of Jesus are still responsible for their actions and their rebellion against their Creator. So people who are born, live their whole life, never hear the message of Jesus, die, have no excuse before God for the rebellion. That's according to Romans chapter 1. We can be confused about that or frustrated about that, but the Bible is very plain and clear about that. But what that should do in us, it should rise in us a desire to do something about it. A desire to be, a, a, a compulsion to go and do something about that. If there are people who do not know about Jesus, and if not only every nation has to be evangelized, but every generation also has to be evangelized, then for those who have never heard about Jesus, and every time somebody's born and grows up, there's a new generation that has to be evangelized, it should really burden us. 
If, if, if everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, then we want everyone to be able to hear about Jesus. That should be the heartbeat of every believer. People need to know this message. It should do something in us. So we want to answer this morning from the text, the, the skeptic and that junior higher, with those good questions. What about the people who have never heard? So Romans 10, starting in verse 14. <coughs> and by the way, I'll warn you up front, my, my voice is coming back. I'm not, last week, I don't know if you knew it or not, but I was like real sick last week. And could, my squeaking and stuff, my voice is still a little bit squeaky today. So be warned, I may get hyper and excited here in a little bit and my voice completely go out. I give you complete permission to laugh all you want. Thank you, James. Um, so we're starting in verse 14, and what we'll see, okay, what we're going to see in verse 14, and you can just see this as we read it, 14 through 15 is a series of questions. There's going to be four questions we're going to look at, and they build on each other. And so I want you to look at those verses, and we'll just read 14 and 15, to, well, you just read with me, not together. But How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Question one, how are they to call on him whom they have not believed? The first question has to do with people who have already heard the message of Jesus, in this case, those in Israel, we'll see in a little bit, those who have already heard the message of Jesus and have not believed, okay? How will they, whom already have heard and not believed, how will they call on him? And there's always going to be people who have heard the truth for years and years and resist decade and decade in and decade out the message that they keep hearing. How will a person like that call upon the name of the Lord? So that's question number one. Question number two. How will they believe on him whom they have never heard? We see that in part B of verse 14. How are they to believe on him in him whom they have never heard? There are some people throughout this globe, like I just said, who have never heard. And how can the people who have never heard call on the name of the Lord? So these questions are going to build. And it's a great question. If they've never heard of Jesus, how can they call on the name of Jesus? It's just using our mind, thinking rationally here, being reasonable people. It's just a great question. How can people who have never believed in Jesus, call upon the name of the Lord if they've never heard about him? Question three. How can they hear, how can they hear without someone preaching? If there's no one preaching Jesus, then how can a person hear about him? If there's no missionary, then people can't hear the good news. We see how these build on each other. It builds. And we can say, well, people are having dreams in Muslim countries and hearing about Jesus. We cannot depend on dreams and visions. We cannot depend on that. They can't hear rightly about Jesus unless they're told, unless somebody physically tells people about Jesus. Not to discount dreams and visions. But the whole point of this passage is to say if everybody's going to hear about the name of the Lord, somebody's going to be sent and tell them. There's got to be people with names who can read, who have a Bible. They have got to go out and who know this message and can go out and tell them the good news. And how are they going to do that unless they are sent? How can somebody hear without being preached to? Question 4, verse 15. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? How are they to preach 
unless they are sent. Now, it, it's always good when we think about going into a new year, closing out an old year. It's often the time that churches will do kind of a state of the church address. Let's close out one year and open in a new year. This happened last year for us as well. We looked at Matthew chapter 28. And we looked at the Great Commission. We're going to go there in a little bit. But we need to be reminded, I think, it's just a good time of the year to realize that we have been sent. How will somebody hear unless they are sent? How will people hear the message of Jesus? How will people go and preach? How will people do this unless they are sent? And here's what we need to realize, to understand. That we are a sent people. That God has sent us out with a mission. Jesus has sent us. And we need to be reminded, apparently Paul needed to remind the people in Romans, hey, there's a great big world out there and everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so how are they going to go unless people are sent? We've got to, we've got to go. Let's get moving. This is our commission here. And I imagine in the mind of Paul, him thinking about Matthew 28, him thinking about the mission, the great commission that he heard about through his peers, through his friends. Hey, Jesus, Jesus before he sent, ascended into heaven, he told us, Go into all the world, baptizing, go to all the world, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. We are sent ones. By nature of being a Christian, and by nature of me being called supernaturally into the, into the role of shepherd or equipping you, being equipper of the saints to do the work of ministry, my responsibility is to remind you that you are sent and to send you. To give you a holy pat on the butt and push on the back to say, now proverbially, not an actual pat on the butt. So I'm not going to be standing out there in the door today and saying, go get him, tiger. But I'm going to spiritually, by God's grace today, remind you that you are a sent person and send you out of here charging as the Lord's army. That's the goal. That's what I want to see this morning. I want to remind you and charge you that you are a sent people with a message that by the grace of God will eventually change the world. And many believers, they think that foreign missionaries and pastors of churches are the only sent ones. Professionalized Christians doing the work of ministry. But the Bible clearly states in Ephesians chapter 4 that God gifts the church overseers or leaders or equippers to be able to train you who are the doers of the ministry. You are evangelists. You are missionaries. You are sent ones. And so I want to charge you this morning. I want to send you out, reminding you that you are sent ones, and then send you out. And hopefully we're all marching out of here as the Lord's army with fists in the air saying, let's conquer the world. That's what I want, by God's grace. Every Christian is a sent one. You are sent, sent to preach the gospel. There is a sense in which every one of you is a preacher of the gospel. Not in an elder sense, but in an evangelist sense. Even if you're not gifted toward evangelism, and you say, well, my gifting is not evangelism. Your responsibility is evangelism. It doesn't matter if you're gifted for it or not. Your responsibility is to be a sent one. And this is the same thing. Um, it's not the same thing as what I'm doing right now, but it is evangelism. And everyone is called to this work. Every single one is called to this. And the Bible says it's beautiful, beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now, that is not a comment on our feet. It's got a comment on the beauty of our feet. It's a comment on the beauty of being sent with a message. It's a statement about a beauty, the beauty and those and on those whom 
know they are on mission. And we can't miss this. The Christian, as Spurgeon says, stated again, is either a missionary or an imposter. You are a sent one. There are people who are dying, who are dying and going to hell, who need to hear this message. And that's our great joyous burden that we are sent on, is to tell this good news. Jesus tells us this in Matthew chapter 28. We know this. He said, and Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so I think this morning it's good for us to reflect on the Great Commission. This is a Great Commission that is not specifically for organizations. The Great Commission that Jesus sent us on isn't primarily for the 501c3 organization, Christ Church of Carbondale, nor any organization that has a name on it. The Great Commission is for believers, Christians. In other words, it's not the organization's responsibility to make disciples. It's Christians' responsibility to make disciples. It's you. You are the workers of ministry. We, together, on mission, making disciples. And the Bible tells us, according to Jesus, that he has all authority in heaven and earth. Now, this is fascinating to me because you've heard me say this before, and I think I said it almost verbatim last year in the sermon about this time. It's, when we think about Jesus' authority, we often think about Jesus' authority in heaven and, that, and kind of nod our head nonchalantly. Yeah, of course, Jesus has all authority in heaven. But Jesus tells us, all authority in heaven and earth, in heaven and earth, has been given to me. Meaning the same authority Jesus has in heaven, he has on earth. There's not a distinction of where Jesus' authority reigns and rules. Jesus has the same authority in heaven and on earth. It's demonstrated in uniquely different ways at this time, but it's the exact same authority. Jesus has the same authority in heaven and earth. And the one who has all authority, not partial authority, not some authority, the one who has all authority in heaven and earth has said, here, here here's your mission, Hank. Every other believer, here's your mission. Because the commission says, in teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, meaning this is going to be an ongoing until, the, until he returns. This is an ongoing mission. It's not just for the 12. It's for everyone whom they would disciple and teach after. This commission is for every believer, not just those who were on that mountain that day. Go and teach all that I have commanded. Baptize and teach. And so if the one who has all authority gives us our marching orders, it's wise of us, I think, it's, it's wise of us to come back and reconsider here in the new year, what's my mission and purpose in life? Because through the year, we get pelted with messages about what our mission and purpose in life is. And we get told over and over again that we get to determine that. That I get to determine my life's mission and purpose. But for us in this room, the Christians in this room, let me just hear you. You don't get to determine your purpose and mission. Because Jesus has told us our purpose and mission. It's going to look different ways. It's going to look different ways when we walk out these doors. But, but that's not up to us. When we come to Christ, we come to die to ourselves and say, Jesus, give me my marching orders. And what you say goes. I'm going to follow you. My life is not about me and my mission. It's about him and his mission. And he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them, those who are baptized from the nations, all that I have commanded you. 
And so after seeing people converted throughout all the nations, we go forth and tell the gospel. Now that people become saved, it's our responsibility to teach them how to observe all that Jesus commanded. Okay, now that you're a believer, here's how you follow Christ. Here's how you obey God by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit's power and by the Word of God. We are called to obey Him now. Here's how Jesus has commanded us to live. And so our responsibility, our responsibility is to baptize the nations and teach the baptized from the nations how Jesus has commanded us to live. That's our marching orders. Now, lest we feel overwhelmed, because again, the world is a big place, and there's 7.2 billion people, and only 2 billion of them in this world claim to be Christians. So let's just, for the benefit of the doubt, say that every one of those 2 billion who claim to be Christians are actually born-again believers. Let's do the math. 7 minus 2 is 5 billion people. 5 billion people throughout this earth don't know Jesus. And there are still 5,000 or so unreached people groups who do not have a Bible translation, who do not know anything about Christianity. And every single year when babies come, when new babies and new life comes, there begins a new generation of people who have no idea about religion. They're learning. There's a new generation that's coming up. So we have in front of us, because this is going on to the end of the age, we have this, these two, this mission that's huge. Unless we feel overwhelmed, I, I want you to feel how huge it is. Every nation, we are commissioned to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teach them to observe all that Jesus has commanded every nation and every generation. Every nation and every generation, this is our mission. So Jesus reminds us of something so kind. Here's your mission. It's overwhelming. It's going to keep going on to the end of the age. But here's what he says. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So the one with all authority in heaven and earth who gave us his mission says, oh, Behold, I am with you to the end of the age. So we have Jesus commissioning us and Jesus with us to the end of the age. This is our mission. It, again, it is not to Christ Church Carbondale. It's to you. And I just want you to feel that. Because it's easy for organizations to say, okay, we're going to do that for our people and we're going to create every discipleship event and we're going to create programs and, and the organization begins to take over what was never intended to be taken over. And it's easy for us to make discipleship and evangelism, do evangelism outreaches and do all this and say, look, we're doing the Great Commission. And, and that was never intended for organizations. It was intended for God's people. And what I don't want for us is to be a group of people who are tied into an organization, Christ Church Carbondale, and I'm doing the work because Christ Church Carbondale is doing the work. No. You are the missionary. You are the sent one. And I don't want you to have a way to opt out of this. I want you to know that this is for every single believer. Your responsibility is to go forth to the nations and generations and tell them about Jesus and then teach them after they know Jesus Teach, him, teach them to walk with Him. And yes, we can equip you and help you do that. But by the grace of God, that's what you are commissioned and empowered to do. That's your response. That's your mission. 
That's what God's called you to. But don't feel overwhelmed because in this massive, massive mission, Jesus said, hey, I'm with you. And if the one of all authority is just like, okay, I, I'm just, just imagine just sitting down and, and talking with Jesus one day. If he's like, hey, here's what I want you to do. And you're like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. And he's like, hey, I'm with you. I'll be with you every step of the way. I'm here. Like, all right. Thank you. The kindness of Jesus to include that in the Great Commission. We're never going to be alone in this. We are sent ones. But here's what we know, both by the Bible and by experience. When we're on mission and we are evangelizing people, here's the difficult thing. There's going to be people who don't hear. And there's going to be people who don't listen. And times and stretches of our evangelistic efforts and in decades maybe of prayer, when we see how slow the work of God seems at times, we can get frustrated. You think, man, I've, I've evangelized literally a thousand people over the last 20 years and one person came to Christ. Or none of them came to Christ. And it can feel futile. Because after all, we get here, we hear all the time, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results, and yet that's exactly what Jesus told us to do. Keep doing this to the end of the age. Don't change. Do this. And so it can be tiresome because we know that not all will believe. And not all will hear this message. And not all will respond in the way that we want them to respond. And so back in Romans chapter 10, after we're told how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, we hear this sobering truth, verse 16. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? You know, it's interesting, the message that Isaiah was sent out with. You can read this in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah's greed that nobody believed him. That's what is being quoted right now. Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And that, that's a, a deeply personal experience for Isaiah. You know, the prophets of old were commissioned to do some very hard things. And if we were to assess them by modern standards, we would say, I almost fell off that step right then. I almost fell off. Um, if we were to assess the prophets of old by today's standards, we would look at Isaiah, whom God said, after Isaiah has this incredible moment where he's like, here am I, send me, I'll go, I'll do whatever you want me to do, God. I'll be the one who answers the call. And then God's like, I'm going to send you to a people who will not hear from you. They won't listen, they won't repent, and they won't believe. Go. God, I would rather do something else. Can I, um, can I go to a people who will believe? Can I go to a people who will repent? And Isaiah grieves out of personal experience. And Jeremiah had the same thing. He kept obeying God, and people kept putting him in pits and in prison. And he just kept obeying God and honoring God, and nobody repented. And he kept calling God's people to repent, 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 and the nations to repent and repent and repent, and nobody repented. And by today's standards, we would look at them and say, well, man, what unsuccessful preachers they are. They keep preaching, and look at that, there's no fruit. There's nothing there. There he is in a pit. What a successful man, Jeremiah. Or Joseph, you look at all these. And we're going to look at wanting and desiring the opposite of that. But Isaiah grieves. I, I've gone out, and they've not believed. They've not obeyed the gospel. And it's a, it's a, it's a reminder to us, as we go out, let's, not, let's, not, let's, let's deal with reality here. There are going to be people who are not going to believe. 
And just like God's people were to the prophets, hostile, you're going to face that today. He, go, he told him to go and to preach to people who would not listen to him. And here's the, here's the truth. We cannot determine or manufacture the results that we want from our efforts. All we can do is, by the grace of God, obey. We can obey. And if he's telling us, there's people who are sent, and everybody who calls upon the name of the Lord, and we know the Great Commission, then all of us in unison should be like, send us, send, I'm, I'm going. That's my mission. Let's go. But not all have believed the gospel. Not all have obeyed the gospel, which is an interesting statement. If we had time, we could go into not all have obeyed the gospel. All we can do, like Isaiah, like Jeremiah, like the prophets of old, is open our mouths and pray. God, as they hear, open their ears. As they see, open their eyes. Open their hearts to believe. And with everything I have and with everything you have, what I want to see in us is devoted lives till our dying breath to preaching Christ crucified to anybody that God has put in our way. We are sent ones. We want everyone to know and follow Jesus all the days of our lives. Do we not? Do we not want everyone in our lives, everyone we know, we want them to know and follow Jesus all the days of their lives. And there are some people we just kept, we keep praying for them, we keep talking to them, and we just feel like Isaiah grieving. And what are we going to do, give up? What do we need to do? Just throw our hands in the air? Or keep on praying? Keep on being on mission. Obey even when we don't see the results we want to see. Or the fruit we want to see. We live our lives with open mouths, knowing that even when people don't hear, nothing will stop us from speaking. Nothing. With my dying breath, I want to be preaching and telling people the good news of Jesus Christ. My family, my friends, anybody who knows me, I want you to know God's grace. I want you to be changed by Jesus. I want you to follow him all the days of my life. We don't get to opt out of this. It's not just for preachers. It's for all of us. That's our mission. Our dying breath. And there's confusing results. There are confusing results. But we keep on. We will not be silent. Verse 17 tells us what to do no matter what. It tells us whether it's confusing results or not. It tells us, like in verse 14, what we're to do for those who have heard but not believed, who have already heard, and they've just heard the message decade in, decade out, and they've not believed. Verse 17 is going to tell us what to do for those who have never heard the gospel, ever. And verse 17 is going to tell us, even for those who don't obey the gospel, what do we keep doing? Here's what verse 17 says. So faith comes by hearing, from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Here's how we do this. Here's how we go out. Here's how we live. For those who have not heard, even though they've heard over and over again, here's what we do. They're going to keep hearing from us. Faith comes that way. God gives faith when people preach the gospel. It happens. There's, there's stories, countless stories, your story. Somehow, when you heard the message, you believed it. And right now, you believe the message of Jesus Christ, that he died in your place for your sins. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. When the gospel message is shared and preached, people believe. 
It's miraculous. It's the means by which, it's the instrument by, by which God dumps faith on the world through the preaching of the gospel, through the telling of the gospel. Even when some don't believe, we will not be silent. So when we tell our grandchildren or our children or our neighbors or friends or coworkers, the nations or the nations, the word of Christ, faith happens and some won't believe. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We will not be silent and people will keep hearing the word of Christ because that's what our commission is. We can't determine how much or how little faith. We can't determine who will and won't harden their own heart. All we can do is open our mouths and pray. God, help us. As they hear, open their ears. So that's what we will be devoted to. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Now, we're going to see, it's, I think, fascinating. We're going to see, again, some confusing results because... Um, this has been happening, and Paul's going to tell us here that, that the world has already heard, and they've already rejected this. And these passages are pretty interesting in 15, or 18, 19, and 20. But I want us to see this. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Look at verse 18. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. Isn't that, I find it interesting, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. So apparently there's people who've already heard the word of Christ. And their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the end of the earth. Psalm 19, quoted. This message has gone out. And Paul says they have heard the world, gone out to the earth and to the world. So not just the Jews, but the Gentiles also. And at that time, the entire world has not been evangelized, but the Jews and Gentiles had both heard this gospel message. And this message has gone out to the world. But in verse 19, we hear that Israel did not believe. Even though the message went out, they had not believed. They didn't believe it. And look at this in verse 19 and 20. The people who should have believed, that we thought would have believed, didn't believe. And then the people we didn't think would believe, or that didn't look like they would believe, did believe. And I think by our own experience in our lives, we've experienced that as well. We've experienced people we thought, boy, if that person would just love Jesus, they'd be a great Christian. And we see that they never do. And then somebody we thought, they're too far, they will never come to Christ. Maybe you were that person. I pointed in this direction. John, I wasn't referring to you there. But... Maybe you're that person that people would have just said in the yearbook, most likely to never become a Christian. And now you love Jesus and you just, you're teaching your kids and grandkids, you just love Jesus. Look at verse 19. But I ask, did did Israel not understand? For Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me, and I have shown myself, who, shown myself to those who do not, did not ask for me. And so in these confusing results, and now we get into talking about Israel and the Gentiles, which is going to roll into chapter 11. So we're going to hold some of the comments about that into next week. 
But what's clear is that those who did not seek God and ask for God, the Gentiles, found God. And those who should have believed, the Israel, Israelites, didn't believe. When they heard the word of Christ, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. When they heard, they didn't believe. And that was to make Israel, to see the Gentiles come to Christ, that was to make Israel jealous. That's what I mean when there's more on that coming next week. In verse 21, then, we see that God continually held out his hands to a disobedient people. Much like Jesus, when he looks at Jerusalem and says, How long, how much I've desired and come to you and sent prophets and that you would repent, that you would not. Verse 21, but of Israel, he says, All day long I have held out my hands to disobedient and contrary people. But Israel would not believe. God continually holding out his hands, willing hands to Israel, and they continually rejected all that he had. And so based on confusing results and lack of responses that we want, we can be tempted to quit. So I think the whole point here is faith comes by hearing and, and hearing through the word of Christ and then explaining that the Israelites didn't believe and the Gentiles did believe. Those who, who quote-unquote, should have and those who shouldn't have is that this shouldn't determine whether or not we're going to be on mission or not. We, we have no idea. We have no idea who is going to respond favorably or not. And I don't know if you've been in situations before where you've thought, to talk to that person, okay, this person's going to be easier to talk to about Jesus than that person. They're more reasonable. They're probably going to be more open. And so in our minds, here's what we begin to assess. There are some people that... We, we, we put it on people, and we think, well, God could get that person, but God couldn't get that person. And the whole message of Romans 9 is that nobody's too far, that God can turn anyone. He's more powerful than Pharaoh. He can harden Pharaoh. He can have mercy on whomever. And so our, our trust is not in the person, their willingness to respond or receive anything from us. Our trust is that as we teach this message, as we share this message, the most hardened person, the most lost person, the person you would never think in, 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 in any way they would come to Jesus you'll see they melt before your eyes. And the person who seems so tenderhearted, who would give their shirt off your back, who you think, man, oh, this person's going to be easy to talk to, and they just look at you, and they never believe. They may not get hostile, they may not get this or that, and they never believe. So I don't want the lack of fruit to beat us down. And based on those confusing responses or lack of results, and I'll be honest, this happens for, for preachers, for pastors. So our church now is four years old, and God has slowly given growth here. But here's the temptation that comes in a, pre in a, in a guy who's regularly preaching. You know, look at our church. There's a lot of churches larger than ours, and I'm going to be real honest and vulnerable with you. Vulnerable. Like it's a bachelor or something. I'm going to get real vulnerable. Um, um, I'll never say vulnerable again, I promise. Um, there's times when we don't, we want to see people come to Christ, right? We want to see our church grow in the right sort of way. And when things don't, like the pressures of the world is to judge your effectiveness by like natural lenses. So when people don't repent and believe and, and you're preaching your heart out and you're wanting people to see Jesus and you're like, man, we're about the glory of God here and, and this isn't about us. And it's so easy to become an egotist about your humility. It really is. It really is. And, you know, we want to see people meet Jesus. And then growth, as God has given growth, and it's been slow. There's been seasons where I've thought, like, man, I feel like I'm just, it's like I'm, the wind is blowing 100 miles an hour, and I'm throwing a paper airplane into it. And it's just like, 
it can feel very defeating when people don't respond. And then you read, the, you know, like Spurgeon's lecture to my students, and he'll, he'll write in there, he's like, hey, if you're not seeing a bunch of conversions, you're probably not called to preach. I'm like, ugh. <laughs> you know, like, oh, give me some grace. Give me some grace. And thankfully, Jesus does. But here, here's the truth about evangelism. It can be family members, friends, your children or grandchildren, whoever, your, your friends and neighbors. And we think to, to go to the world means somebody's going to have to reach Carbondale. Somebody's going to have to reach Southern Illinois. And for most of us, that's where God sent you. And you know how to feel guilt about God, not going to the nations out there. God sent the nations here in Southern Illinois. Some of you need to consider foreign missions. And that's like a thing where, where God really does call people to where they're unreached people groups. But for most of us, for most of us, and we all need to be on mission to reach the world. I mean, empowering people to go, I don't want to downplay that. But God has sent you here. And he sent, most likely, children into your home or grandchildren into your life. And if, God's, if Jesus is reaching the world, then that's the world in front of you. That's where he has sent you, to southern Illinois or wherever you live. And if God's going to reach, if, if the message is going to the world, somebody's going to have to take seriously southern Illinois. And the next generation. And then the next generation. And sometimes, as we're just telling these things, we're telling the gospel, like talking to, you know, my children and talking to my son. Son, you know, you ever want to talk to me about being saved? You know, you, I'd love to talk to you about it. No, thanks, Dad. Like, okay. You know, we'll keep talking about it and keep talking about it. But the lack of fruit from evangelism can get exhausting. It happens in preaching. It happens in our life. Has anybody been there before? Family members, friends, wherever. When you're not seeing the results that you want, and by the worldly standards, you look like an utter failure. You're like, man, okay, what do we do? What do we do? Because I want you to be encouraged. Don't quit. I want to encourage you this morning to don't look at natural fruit. fruit. Look at supernatural fruit. Every time you obey and, and live as a sent person, regardless of, regardless of the response or the result, the, 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 the smile of God is always upon us because of what Christ has done for us. Amen. Always. And yet it pleases our Heavenly Father when we obey Him. I don't know how all the ins and outs of that works. But when we obey and tell people, just obedient to God's word, just say, okay, I'm going to live as a sent one. I'm going to tell that everyone who believes would be saved. I'm going to live like this by God's grace. Friends, it's a beautiful thing. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. It's beautiful. And I don't want you to live by worldly standards or judgments. I don't want you to live in the, super, in the natural realm. I want you to step into the supernatural. And I do not want you to quit. I want the Lord's army to be equipped to know that I, to my dying breath, will tell people and live on mission because Jesus told me to. And if it's possible, these people in the world out here, and if Jesus died for people in the world, then I'm going to go tell them about it. I'm going to go tell them about it and believe that faith comes by hearing and hearing comes through the word of Christ. And that person I, I feel like giving up on, that feels too far gone, I'm not going to make that determination. I'm going to keep telling them about Jesus. And it may be their last dying breath sitting on that deathbed and they cry out, Jesus, save me. I'm sorry for my rebellion. And I remember my friend or my neighbor or my sister or my brother all those years ago. I had a friend 10 years ago. I sat with him at a bar telling him about Jesus. He messages me 10 years later and said, I never forgot that. I got baptized last week. I never thought a thing in the world of that conversation. And I would have never known if he didn't reach out to me. 
We have no idea the fruit that comes through our meager, measly, spirit-led, imperfect evangelism. We have no idea the fruit. And we can't say, well, I just don't know what to say. I don't know. Just tell them about Jesus, for goodness sake. Tell them that they're a sinner and they've sinned against God. There's no way to get around the rock of offense, folks. Don't make that as light as possible. Tell them, the Bible tells us that you're a sinner, and so am I. And unless there's repentance and faith, unless you turn from your way... And, and deny yourself and take up your cross and turn to Christ and say, Jesus, your Lord, you can't be saved. You want to be saved today? Spurgeon said this, to quote him again, third time I think in the sermon, let us say with Spurgeon, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap, over hell, leap, leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay and be saved. If hell must be filled, let it be filled with the teeth of our exertions, and let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. And friends, here's what I want to see. I, I really do. And I, this last year I did some reading on revival. And, and what I want to see, I, I am willing to walk, and we all should be willing to walk in the ministry of Isaiah. In the ministry of the early church, who was telling people about Jesus, and some people were being saved, and then they were slaughtered for it. That we all should be willing to be burned as torches in Nero's regime. We should all be willing to do that. We should all be willing to, like Jeremiah, preach faithfully and say, God, I'm going to keep preaching. If I never see results, I'm going to keep evangelizing. If I never, never see results, I'm going to obey you all the days of my life. We should all be willing to do that. But here's what I want. I want to see revival. And I would rather see, I would rather see what I've read about. I would rather have a third great awakening. I would rather see people all around me becoming Christians. That's what I want to pray for, and that's what I want to see. And that, through these pages, I want us to understand that faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Let us not expect that everyone will disobey. Let us expect that because God is gracious, there will be people who believe. And may our expectations rise with evangelism and living on mission that those around me are going to be changed by the power of the gospel, that the power of the gospel is so large it can overcome the vilest sinner. And let us be positive in this mission, believing that God's word is going forth and God's word is increasing. Friends, we may just get to see revival. Maybe, just maybe. If revival comes, we're going to know it. We'll know it. It won't be planned. It won't be because of anything that we did. When God shows up in a special way in this thing we call revival, the normal convicting work that at times seems to be slow and kind of stagnant or even scarce, becomes fast and widespread. Church meetings get interrupted. Life gets disrupted. Human plans, agendas change. Sinners, instead of running away from God, hear of the work of God and some, some reason are compelled to come in and cry out, what must I do to be saved? The mouths of mockers get shut. Those who previously raised their fist to God, you'll see in church buildings or in neighbors' houses, as they hear the gospel and hear the word, you'll see them on their knees with snot coming out of their noses, tears from their eyes, and the carpet being stained permanently because of what God is doing in their lives. The last song sung on Sunday mornings, no one wants to leave. People clear their schedules so they can come to the church building over and over again or houses over and over again because they want to be in the presence of God in this unique way. Family members become Christians. 
prayers prayed for decades get answered. God's presence becomes so powerful that believers like D.L. Moody have to say back to God, please stay your hand lest I die under the weight of your glory. It's happened before. There becomes an overwhelming sense of God's glory and power, an overwhelming joy in the work of Christ. We would not be sitting in the pew week in and week out. We would be crying on the floor or shouting with joy. I want to see it. Church buildings in this city and region would be full. The university would be changed and be having prayer nights on the football field. And we would remember it all the days of our lives. If we were to see it, what people have seen down through the decades, down through the millennia, if we were to see a work of God like this, we would look back and remember the visitation from God. We'd be able to mark it off. It was from this year to that year, or this month to that month, or this week to that week when God showed up. I want to see people changed. When revival comes, ordinary life, is seen for what it is, extraordinary. Let me say it again. When revival comes, ordinary life is seen for what it is, extraordinary. God's people would care about God's word and want to obey him in everything. We won't be wallowing around wondering if our life matters or wishing we could be or have more fun or live out our dreams because of the incredible joy received from doing what God has called us to do in his word Today, When revival comes, we become better men, we become better women, we become better husbands, wives, fathers, mothers, sons, daughters, grandpas, grandmas, workers, bosses, friends, and neighbors. When revival comes, people start saying, God says, and I know, more than they say, I think, and I feel. And I read a book this year. Revival and revivalism. We've heard stories. We even in public schools heard about the first and second great awakening. By the way, the first was way better than the second. And friends, if we believe in God's sovereign grace, if we believe in the doctrines we've been talking about, then we need to be propelled to mission. And we need to believe that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And that we are sent ones. God has moved like this in times that it would have seemed to be least expected. And our day is like that. We think we're too sophisticated, we're too liberal, we're too left, we're too weird, we're too sexually whatever. Nobody wants to hear about this anymore, blah, 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 blah. When God shows up and revival happens, even the most intellectual, perverse, or whoever, you find them, you think, oh my goodness, because God is bigger than people. God doesn't scare, he's not scared of sinners shaking in his boots about who's going to get elected or who's going to rule or reign in this nation. He's not shaking in his boots over the sexual revolution. When God shows up, people repent or they run. So what, we live on mission. And I, I don't want to go out and say, you know what, you may. I don't want to go out here and say, you, we may. We may say this size as a church. We, we may not see revival in day. We, we may very well have Isaiah's ministry or Jeremiah's ministry. Where it's like Jeremiah and Barak. That's all there is. And all, of, all of Israel, the only people who respond, Jeremiah and Barak. They just have to keep on doing it, keep on plugging away. We may have that, but I don't want that for us. That may be what God has for us. We need to be joyful in that. What I want, I, I, the message we're told, is God more powerful than sinners? Yes. Does faith come by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ? Yes. 
then let's open our mouth. Let's be obnoxious if need be. Let's grab people and beg them as Paul does in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Be reconciled to God. Please, I'm begging you, imploring you, be reconciled to God. May that be our heartbeat. As we think about 2020, may it be. Real revival, the real work of God, what I'm longing for as we go out sent as the Lord's army. Even at a time like this, it would be very unlikely, we would think. If God shows up, this happens. Here's the deal. Something like that, you can't put in a calendar and we can't manufacture. All we can do is pray and ask. I want to see it. God, please bring some fruit, visible fruit. I want to see fruit. Please, we want to see your name glorified. We want to see people changed. God, work in this unusual way. And let's pray that the world would know. We will not quit preaching Christ and Him crucified. And here's the deal. Army of God, as we get to sing and as we walk out these doors today, the army of God, you... You are in the Lord's army. It's not just the professional Christians. You are the Lord's army, empowered with the Holy Spirit to go out and live on mission and change the world through the power of God. You are God's children. In 2020, we look at people out there and nobody's too far. And we don't get to go and twiddle our thumbs and say, well, what's my purpose for this year? I know my purpose and your purpose. It's to be on mission for the Lord Jesus Christ. Army of God, today we are being sent yet again with the power of the Holy Spirit to tell the world of the glories of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace. I thank you that faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. I know that just like the Israelites not believing, there's going to be people that we think should believe and they're not going to believe. And there's going to be people like the Gentiles who weren't even seeking you, weren't even coming after you, and not seeking you is, is actually a prerequisite for you to show up. You love to come and save people who are not seeking you. That's the only people who are found by you. And so God, I pray, I ask that we could see some of these things, that we would see revival, that we would see cities change and transform, that we would see our children, and grandchildren, neighbors, our best friends, our family members, cousins, uncles, aunts, whoever it may be that doesn't know you, that our prayers, Lord, we want to see fruit. And we ask that this year we would not grow weary in doing good, but that we would keep praying and we would keep praying and keep opening our mouths and keep giving them the word of Christ that all may believe in you. Holy Spirit, help us as we sing. It's going to be our joy to do so. Just lead us. I trust that you will. It's your name we pray. Amen. Let's sing.